Good morning, family. Hey, Paul, how you doing this morning, dude? Doing good? Scott, how we doing over there, man? You doing well? Good to see you. Wayne, good morning. You alive? Yeah? Good. Folks, good to see you all. Well, hello, Miss Jackie. How are you this morning? You doing well? It's good to see you. My name is Josh. If you're a guest, welcome to the Clear Creek family. This is just a little get-together we do every Sunday. Think of this. Unlike your Thanksgiving celebrations where you get together once a year or something else, you realize that the church of Jesus Christ gets together every Sunday and has a meal. We don't wait for Thanksgiving to give thanks to the one who gives us everything. And so when we gather here on Sunday, understand this is not a spectator sport. This is a full participation experience. Do you get that, church? Here we go. Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We have been, for the past six weeks, in a series called Just Like Barnabas. For the uninitiated, let me tell you who Barnabas is. He's a man, really his name is Joseph, but Barnabas, because of his his almost supernatural ability to encourage, was given by the Christians in the first century the nickname Barnabas, which literally means the son of encouragement. And we've been looking at his life and asking the question, What would it look like for someone to be so open to the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living Christ inside of us, that when we step out of our doors on Monday, the power of God on Sunday flows through us? Are you tracking with me? And so we've been looking each week at what it looks like to be just like Barnabas. But I got to tell you, it's really not about Barnabas, but we'll get into that a little later today and next week. So today, second to last teaching. And I'm, I'm kind of, I gotta be honest, you're gonna really have to help me out because usually the 11 o'clock has a whole bunch of teenagers over in this area and some down here, but you'll notice it's a little quieter today. And that's because 107 of our middle and high school students and chaperones are gone this weekend loving on each other and learning about Jesus. By the way, aren't you glad to be a part of a church? that celebrates and encourages and inspires our young people to step into the men and women God has made them. Aren't you glad to be a part of that kind of church? And so we're just glad they're doing that. But with that said, I need you to participate this morning a little bit more as we get into this, because I don't have, have them here. Okay, can we do that? So, so, so go ahead and nudge the person next to you, the right or left, wherever they may be, and say, wake up. Go ahead, just, you know, wake up, and, and we're going to get into this. Now, I got to tell you, as I was thinking about the students who are away today, it made me think back to those weird moments, maybe you've had them, when you have your high school or college reunion. How many of you have gone back to a high school or college reunion uh, or could go back to a high school or college reunion? Maybe you're saying, I'm too young. Okay, fine. Elementary reunion. Anyone with me now? And you go and you see the friends and it's always the same case. You see the people that you knew 10, 15, 20, 50 years ago, and you're like, oh my gracious, Bob, you look great. Sally, you look amazing. And there's always those people that are like, wow, they look so good, and yeah, just, oh man, you look great. And and then there's those people you go, oh, and and you got fat, but you don't say that. You just sort of think, (laughs) come on, don't, don't be dishonest. We all have that thought, don't we? Okay, so it happens, and you see different people, but then, but then, here's what always happens. You're kind of looking around, seeing the, new, the people you haven't seen in a long time, and then you, you turn over, and you see that one person, and you do a double take. Because you see this well-adjusted, functioning member of society, 
but you remember the kid he or she once was. You know what I'm talking about. They're the one sitting in the corner of class, sniffing glue, and you're thinking, most likely to be arrested before 21. That's what it says in the yearbook, right? But now you see the person, who they are today, who they have become, and you go, what happened? How did you become the person you are because you're not the person I remember? See, that's where we find ourselves in 2 Timothy chapter 4, because last we saw this young man named John Mark, he was the kid in the corner sniffing glue. He was not helpful. He was not courageous. He was not a man you wanted in your foxhole because at the first sign of trouble, he was going to bail on you. And yet, we're told something weird or unexpected about him in chapter 4, verse 11. And we're going to have to answer, what happened? So, if you will, look in your Bible. (coughs) At chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and beginning in verse 11, it says this. We're going to look at one verse and pick it apart today. Here we go. Paul, the apostle, writing from a jail cell in Rome, writes this to his protege, Timothy. He says, Timothy, only Luke is with me. So get, notice this, Mark, and bring him with you, because he is, get this, helpful to me in my ministry. Now listen, when we read this, if you don't understand the story, you say, what's the big deal. But for those of us who were here last week and we read about John Mark defecting when things got hard, now we hear Paul say, bring him. What has happened? In fact, we're talking about just like Barnabas, but Barnabas isn't even in this story. We're in the very last chapter of the last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. You understand, this letter was written from a jail cell possibly weeks or months before the Apostle Paul is beheaded for his faith. And so he writes this final letter, and it's an instructional letter. And the end of it, he's asking his protege, Timothy, bring my manuscripts, bring my coat, because I'm cold in here. And he begins to explain how everyone who had been with him has since deserted him. The only one is with him still is this man named Luke. And then Paul says, so when you come, bring Mark. And it's that moment in the party when the music stops. It's like, and you say, what? Paul, are you sure you're saying the correct thing? We read how you felt about this man named John Mark. Last we saw him, last we saw Barnabas was in Acts 15 and things went off the rails. Now, here's the problem when we read the Bible. Let's just be honest. When we read the Bible, we have questions the Bible does not want to answer. One of those is the Bible doesn't include dates of when things happen. It doesn't say, and in the year such and such, this and this happened. And in the year such and such, this and this happened. And so the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, it doesn't give us all the details, all the dates, the things we want. So let me kind of give you the dates, because if you understand the timeline, you'll get the gravity of what's going on. So here's a timeline of when things happen. In 64 AD, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to Timothy from his jail cell. This is 30 Four years after the start of the church. The church is born in the year 30 AD. Jesus Christ, God's son, is killed, put on a Roman cross. He is crucified. He is in a tomb, dead for three days, comes out of the tomb, proves himself to be alive for 40 days, and then ascends to heaven. And the church begins. That's Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2. By the way, for those of you who go, wait a minute, I thought it was Acts, I thought it was the 33rd year A.D. that this happened. No, no, no. Um, 
we kind of got our dates wrong when people were working out the calendar, like thousands of years ago. Jesus was not born in the year 1 AD, as we sort of suspected. Rather, if you check the dates, it's more like 3 or 4 BC, hence 30 AD, because Jesus was 33 years old when he died. For the nerds in the room, you're welcome. Now, moving on from that, in the same year, in the year 30 AD, we meet a man named Barnabas, who sells a field, gives the money to the church, and because of his generosity and acts of encouragement is given the name Barnabas. This is the year 30 AD. In four years after this, in 34 AD, we are introduced to a man named Saul. Everybody say Saul. Saul was a persecutor of the church. He did not like the church or Christians, for he believed that Jesus was not Messiah. But Jesus, as he has done for so many of us, He met Paul in his worst moment. He knocked him off his donkey and brought him to faith and said, I really am who I say I am. And so Saul becomes this ferocious follower of Jesus, communicating the gospel to people. The only problem is the church doesn't trust that Saul is now Paul. They're scared of him. And so in 34 AD, a man named Barnabas again shows up and he welcomes Paul. He vouches for Paul with the rest of the Christians. And that begins Paul's ministry that has affected all of us in this room. Now, 14 years pass. Paul and Barnabas become this dynamic duo of the gospel. And so in Acts chapter 13 and 14, in the year 48 AD, Paul and Barnabas go on this first missionary journey around the Mediterranean, planting churches, making disciples. It is an epic experience. The problem is they brought a young man named John Mark. Who's John Mark? Well, John Mark is the cousin to Barnabas. Side note, do you wonder why Barnabas fought so hard for John Mark? He's related to the guy. How would you like to go to Thanksgiving meal and have to explain to your aunt, his mom, why you did not take John Mark? I wonder if that's part of it. Maybe, maybe not, but it's fun to think about. John Mark goes on this trip, but something hard happens, and he quits. He leaves Paul and Barnabas in the middle of the trip. They finish their trip. The next year, 49 AD, Paul comes to Barnabas and says, hey, let's go on the trip again and encourage all the churches and the disciples. It's going to be great. And Barnabas says, awesome idea, Paul. I tell you what. I'll go get John Mark. And Paul goes, "Uh uh-uh. No. He doesn't get a mulligan. He failed. He stays. And they have such a sharp disagreement, as we read last week in Acts chapter 15, that they part company. Paul takes a man named Silas, and they go on a missionary trip. Barnabas takes John Mark. They go their separate way on another missionary trip. And church, that is the last moment that we hear about Barnabas. The last time. And so we come to this point and we ask the question, what happens between leave Mark and bring Mark? What happens from high school Mark and mature Mark? What happens from the one who is a failure to the one who is a victor, from the coward to the courageous, from the helpless to the helpful? Something happened in those 15 years. And here's the very simple answer that we're going to drill down on for the next few minutes. It's simply this. What happened? A man named Barnabas who we don't even read about in 2 Timothy 4. A man named Barnabas, notice this, dug for gold. He dug for gold. You say, what does that even mean? Let me explain it to you. You and I, when it comes to our relationships with other people, have a choice in how we look at and live for each other. Let me give you an example. There's a man 
His name is Dale Carnegie or Dale Carnegie, depending on if you were raised in the South or not. That's how you say the name. Dale Carnegie was the preeminent steel magnate of the early 20th century. He's written a lot of great books, how to make friends and influence people, how to stop worrying and live. I was talking to Ken about this between services, right? And Ken told me that he was certified with the Carnegie Institute and, and just just cool deal. But here's the deal. This man was so good at what he did, was such a tycoon that by the 1930s, he had 43 different millionaires working for him. 1930s. By the way, that's when a million dollars was really a million dollars. Not 2021 when 40% of all the currency that's out today was printed in the last year. (gasps) Million dollars. In fact, how many of you are familiar with Schwab Investments? Any of you know Schwab? Charles Schwab was the first guy being paid a million dollars by Mr. Carnegie. And he was asked, he said, how did you attract 43 different millionaires and I love what he said. He said, well, I didn't attract them. They weren't millionaires when they came to me. So the reporter then asked, he says, so what happened? What did you do? How did you get them to be so great? And I love what he says. He says this, and I quote, men are developed the same way gold is mined. Several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold, but you don't go into the mine looking for dirt. You go in looking for gold. What happened in John Mark's life for those 15 years? There was one person named Joseph who said, I will live my life as an encourager so much that he dug and he dug and he dug for gold so that come 64 AD, he is no longer leave Mark, but bring Mark kind of a guy. See, the way that it works is you go into the mine and you begin to dig. This is how you develop other people. You dig, 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 dirt, 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 dirt. And then you, look, look what I found. Oh, I found something. Look at, look at this. I know it's small, but do you see what you, you see what came out of you? You see, this is great. Okay, let's keep going. And you dig through the dirt, 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 just tons of dirt. And then, oh, look, here's a little, can I clean it up? Look at what's in you. Dale Carnegie was excellent at digging for the gold in the lives of his employees. And Barnabas was a digger of gold in the life of John Mark. Here's the reality. Every one of us is either digging for gold or digging for dirt in the lives of other people. In fact, put it this way, are you digging for gold or dirt in others? Because isn't it true, isn't it true that you will find, you and I will find whatever we are looking for. We will find whatever we're looking for. If you're looking for dirt, will you find dirt on people? Quick question. This is such an easy example to exploit, but it's so obvious. How many of us are kind of tired of all the dirt digging and mud slinging we see in politics. Come on. And friends, it's not confined to the political sphere. It happens in schools, in business. There's backbiting and backstabbing. There's, well, did you hear what they said? Oh, did you see what she did? Did you hear what he is doing right now? There's this option to dig for gold or dig for dirt. And the reality is we've all got some dirt, don't we? Come on, it would take you very little time to find the dirt on me. Just ask my wife or my two children. They'll gladly tell you. Ask my kids. Tell me about your dad. Well, daddy didn't give us three desserts last night. Dirt. 
Well, dad didn't communicate well and then got mad at me because I didn't understand because he didn't explain it. Dirt. Well, daddy wasn't home when he said he'd be home. Dirt. Or maybe it goes deeper than just bad choices. Maybe it's, for all of us, maybe it's we have made the decisions that have broken God's heart. Friends, we call that sin. It's the dirt that covers every soul. And in fact, here's the reality. Many of us do not want honest community with other people because we do not want people to see the dirt that is in our lives. It is far easier to hide in a crowd than to know one another in smaller community. And yet, the reality is, if you and I got together, we would see the dirt in one another's lives, and it would not, the only thing that would shock us is how similar we are in the areas that we struggle. See, see the difference between most people and Barnabas is Barnabas had vision to say, there is more in there. There is gold that can be mined. You today are not who I believe you will be tomorrow by the power of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Who you were is not who you will become, church. Is that good news for anyone today? Because the reality is, if God simply saved us from our sins, but left us as the people we were, this would be a depressing number of years until we saw Christ. But God's not done with you yet. God is still in the process of cleaning you up. See, you get saved when you give your life to Christ in baptism, but then he begins a lifelong sanctifying process. That word simply means he's forming you, making you, shaping you into a greater likeness of Christ. And so you have this picture, Barnabas dug for gold. Now, I love what Benjamin Disraeli says. He summarizes this idea with this quote. He says, the greatest good you can do for another is not just share your riches, but reveal to him his own. Are you digging for gold or are you digging for dirt, church? Are you digging and showing and saying, this is who you are. This is who I believe God has made you to be. Or are you constantly nitpicking and pointing out the flaws, the foibles, the genuine sins and failures? Is that where you focus or do you focus on the gold? Now, quick question. We talk about this. You say, okay, okay, he digs. I get it. How do we dig for gold? I want to give you, real simple, I want this to be so simple that you can do it tomorrow. I'm going to give you the ABCs, the ABCs of digging for gold. Because I don't want us simply to sit here on Sunday and do nothing on Monday. What we're going to talk about, you can start doing tomorrow. Here's the ABCs of digging for gold. A, number one, A, assume their motives are good. If you want to dig for gold, you have a choice. We all have a choice. When it comes to motives, we can assume good or bad. If you want to dig for gold, you assume the good. You assume it. You just choose to assume the good. The B is you believe. You believe that they can grow. You believe just as Christ has begun to transform and change you, everyone you interact with has the ability through Christ to grow and to change. You believe that who they are today is not who they can become tomorrow. That your tomorrow can look better. You can be a different person. I want to be a bring Mark kind of guy. I don't want to be a leave Mark kind of guy. And you believe that God is able to grow the person. The C is you convey their value to them. You convey their value to them often. Everybody say often. Let's do it again. Often. You convey their value with the words you say, the actions you perform. You constantly reinforce this is the right path. And when you see gold, you celebrate gold. You shout it. 
You say, yay boy, yay girl, that's the way God has called you, designed you to live, to be. Even those who have yet to come to know Christ, you convey when you see steps that are being taken, God's work in someone's life. Because if you see something good, say something good. Isn't it true? Our culture has conditioned us to be generous with criticism and stingy with praise. Come on, how many of us see in our culture where people are very generous to criticize, to condemn, to say not good enough, but they will rarely say, at a boy, at a girl. But if you want to be a gold digger for Christ, I almost put that message on here, be a gold digger, but I didn't know if some people get that. If you want to be a gold digger, a Barnabas, then you convey their value and the gold. You be generous with praise and stingy with criticism. A, you assume the best. B, you believe they can grow. C, you convey their value to them. And D, you dig for their talents. Come on, how many of us have that teacher that you know, that comment, that moment where the teacher said, that's an excellent essay. I see you have an ability with words. And that changed everything. You had that parent Who said, son, don't give up. Get back in the box. Tee up again. Let's do this. You can do this. See, most of us don't know our talents unless someone else says, I see this talent in you. Most of us are where we are today, either good or bad, because someone said, I see this in you, or I don't see this in you. It takes the vision of Christ in the believer to see the value in another person and dig For their talents. Quick question. Are you an expert at the talents of others? Do you look for excuses to dig out what's good and say, add a boy, add a girl? So you assume their motives. You believe they can grow. You convey their values. You dig for their talents. And number five, E, you expect their effort. See, I want to be real clear here. This is not, this is not, we just treat everyone like, oh, you're doing great. Good job. You can do it. This is not a weak saccharine, sentimental attitude or way of living. Because in all this, yes, I assume your motives, but I'm expecting your effort. I see that you can be more, but I'm expecting you to show up. It is not enough for believers to encourage one another. We as the body of Christ, and listen, I'm talking to Christians, but if you're not a Christian, you know this is true too. You know that you're at your best when you are on a team of people who not only assume your best, but they expect you to show up. They encourage you to show up. They call you to account when you are less than you know and they know you can be or should be. See, this is what it means to dig for gold. I'm assuming your motives are good. I believe you can grow. I will tell you over and over, at a boy, at a girl when I see it. I will dig for the things that you may not even know you're good at. And I will expect you to grow with God, that you genuinely want to become who Christ has called you to be. This is what it means. I love the way that Godier puts this in his quote. He says, Treat a man as he appears to be and you make him worse, but treat a man as if he already were what he potentially could be and you make him what he should be. See, when you speak life into someone, when you see the marks of this world, and maybe you are the mark and you need this from someone, but when you see the marks of this world and you speak who they are, they go, I can't be better. But when you speak 
who Christ is calling them to be, they begin to have a vision. And who knows, maybe it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but it's no longer leave Mark, but they become a bring Mark kind of person. I think one of the greatest stories of this happened a number of years ago in San Francisco school system. They decided to conduct an experiment, and I love what they did. A principal called in three teachers and said, because you three teachers are the finest in the system and you have the greatest expertise, we're going to give you 90, get this, 90 select high IQ students. We're going to let you move these students through the next year at their pace and see how much they can learn. Well, the three teachers, the students, their parents, the faculty all agreed this was a great idea. So the kids especially enjoyed that school year. By the time the school year was out, the students had achieved from 20 to 30% more than all the other students in the entire San Francisco Bay Area. At the end of the year, the principal called the three teachers in and told them, I have a confession to make. You did not have 90 of the most intellectually prominent students. They were run-of-the-mill students. We just took 90 students at random from a system and gave them to you. Well, the teachers naturally concluded that their exceptional teaching skills must have been the reason for the students' great progress. The principal said, I have another confession to make. You are not the brightest of teachers. Your names were the first three names we drew out of a hat. Welcome to reality. Here's the question. Why then did these students and teachers perform at such an exceptional level for their entire year? Answer, they were encouraged to believe they could. In other words, someone dug for gold. This is the difference, friends, between a dirt digger and a gold digger. And friends, I want to be very clear. We've been talking about Barnabas, and he was a good man, but you understand, everything we talk about Barnabas is a small, sniveling, little bit version of the greater example of Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate gold-finding God. You understand this? Scripture tells us, You and I were damned to hell because of our sin. We were condemned because of how we lived life. Our choices separated us from God. And because of that, we were covered over with the weight of sin, of dirt, of shame. And yet Christ, while we were yet, what's that word? Sinners. He comes to the earth. And he says to each one of us, says to Josh, all that garbage, all the junk you carry, all the dirt that's on you, you give me your dirt, you give me your junk, you give, I'm going to dig it, you put it on me. And he goes to the cross, and he wears the weight of your dirt, and my dirt, and the sin of the universe is laid on his shoulders. He is killed, and he is literally buried under the weight of your dirt and mine. But on the third day, praise be to God, The gold of God, Christ himself, leaves the tomb and he is the one who sets us free. And he says, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is why the Apostle Paul, years later in 2 Corinthians 5, makes this profound statement. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You're not dirty. You're not defined by your shame or your sin or your past. The old has gone. The new is here. Prince Christ dug for the gold. 
And then, and then, and then, if you are in Christ, Christ, in some way I don't understand, but the Spirit of God now lives inside of you. Quick question. That means that you are golden. But I don't look at it. I don't feel it. The presence of Christ is in you if you are in Christ. And, and you say, well, yeah, but I'm not a Christ follower yet. And let me tell you something, friend. Scripture tells us that every person you have ever met is made in the image of God. You know what that means. The infinite, beautiful God in some way has put his thumbprint on your life, which means although there is dirt around you, God has placed gold inside of you, but you cannot get it out unless Christ can get into you. He's the ultimate one who comes, I'm going to dig, I'm going to dig. I'm not done with you yet. So here's the question. Are you ready? Are you digging for gold in the lives of the marks around you? What we're going to do is we're going to take a moment to pray together this morning. We do this each week, and it's a time of reflection, time to process what we're talking about here. I want to put two questions on the screen. First one is simply this. Has Jesus removed the dirt of your sin? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you put him on in baptism? See, baptism is not magic, but somehow in that moment, Christ meets you. And I love this picture of the baptismal Waters. When our kids go out and play in the summertime and they get filthy head to foot, we get the hose out and we just spray them down. We wash them from head to toe. And the promise of Scripture is that your sin can be washed off of you. Isn't that amazing? Has Jesus Christ removed the dirt from your life? And if you've come in here and you just feel weighed down by the garbage that you still carry, that doesn't have to be your story today. Today you can leave clean and forgiven because of the grace of Jesus. You need to consider this question, have you been washed by Jesus? Because he wants to. And for the rest of us in here, if you've been saved, but maybe you're just one of those who you find the fault so quickly, friend, would you be someone who seeks the good, the gold in the others? Because as an ambassador of Christ, as a representative, you now get the privilege of calling out what Christ can do in another. Who knows, 15 years from now, the number of marks we will see in this church because of the Barnabases sitting here today. So I'm going to ask you, bow your heads. Ask God, what do you need to change? Do you need to step into relationship through baptism? Do you need to begin to dig for the gold? Tell him, he'll hear. So Father, wherever we are, listen to each heart. We ask in the name of Jesus, the forgiver of sins, the grace giver, the kingdom bringer, the life sustainer, the almighty God, heal us now from the dirt we carry and give us eyes to see the gold in others' lives that we may be the kind of people you called us to be. And Lord, we thank you in faith for the men and women who will be marks in years to come because of the choice made right now. Come, Lord Jesus. Give us your spirit and your presence. We pray this. Amen.